From our nation's capital, this is Naps Chat. I'm gonna stand right down and write myself a letter And make believe it came from you Hi and welcome to this week's edition of Naps Chat. I'm Bob Levy, the Director of Legislative and Political Affairs for the National Association of Postal Supervisors. Before I introduce this week's guest, permit me to update you on some legislative and postal-related news. First, on Friday, President Joseph Biden nominated two new members to the Postal Board of Governors. The president nominated Daniel Tangerlini to replace Board of Governors Chair Ron Bloom, who is due to vacate the Board of Governors on December the 8th. The president also nominated Derek Kahn to replace Governor John Barga, whose term will expire on December 8th. Tangerlini is a Democrat and served in the Obama administration within the Department of the Treasury and the General Services Administration. He also has nonprofit and philanthropic experience. Derek Kahn is a Republican and served in the Trump administration in the Department of Transportation and the Office of Management and Budget. Also, earlier in his career, Kahn served on the staff of Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell. Ironically, at its November 10th Board of Governors meeting, the board, over the objection of at least two Board of Governors, proceeded to re-elect Governor Bloom to another one-year term as chairman of the Board of Governors. Obviously, the board was a bit over-presumptuous and will have to revisit the chair election after December 8th. Another action taken by the board was the filing of a notice to the Postal Regulatory Commission that the agency intends to adjust postage on certain competitive products, including priority mail. For example, it proposed that priority mail postage be increased by 3.1% effective January 9, 2022. On Capitol Hill, H.R. 3076, the Bipartisan Postal Reform Act, has yet to emerge from the House Ways and Means Committee. In fact, its jurisdiction was extended through the beginning of December. NAPS, along with most, if not all, postal employee groups, has been communicating with the members of the Ways and Means Committee, urging its membership to permit a floor vote as soon as possible. In that regard, during November, hundreds of emails from NAPS members have alerted members of Congress of the importance of H.R. 3076 to the operational and financial stability of the United States Postal Service and for those representatives to press a vote by the full House of Representatives. Most recently, the Ways Meets panel has been preoccupied with the Build Back America Act, H.R. 5376, on which a final vote took place on Friday and the legislation passed. This bill includes $6 billion for the Postal Service to procure electric delivery vehicles and create the infrastructure to support those vehicles. Finally, on Thursday, the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs conducted a confirmation hearing where Postal Regulatory Commission Chairman Mike Kubianda's nomination to the Postal Regulatory Commission was considered. We expect that nomination will be confirmed prior to the end of the year. Now let's turn our attention to this week's NAPS chat guest, the newest resident officer of our organization, Secretary Treasurer Jimmy Warden. He was elected to this post during the summer's NAPS National Convention in Grapevine, Texas. 
Secretary Treasurer Warden, was past president of Knapp's Branch 100 in New York, and served about a decade as New York Area Vice President, and during his tenure on the Executive Board, has served on its Legislative Committee. Welcome to Knapp's Chat, Jimmy. Good morning, Bob, and how are you today? I'm doing fine. I want to start with uh, this question. How did you get involved in the Postal Service at the beginning? Actually, I come from a postal family. My dad was a letter carrier who, as you know, we had this conversation many a times, he was very active in the postal strike back in 1969. So that's pretty much what got me started. Uh, one day uh, I had uh, three job applications in. One was for a longshoreman. Uh, the other was to be a steel worker. And actually my mother wanted me to go get back to college to be an accountant. But my dad says, hey, go down to Ansonia Station and you're going to take the postal test. So I did. That's what I did, and here I am today. Do you have any recollection of the postal strike? I most certainly do. Actually, my father was on TV, and he was in most of the newspapers for it. And uh, my brother, my sister, uh, we were both we were all on the TV, showing what the life of a postal worker had to be. You know, when they came home from work, that the two parents had to work to help support. And actually, my father was one of two carriers that went down to the Department of Welfare because at that time a postal worker's salary was below that um, the minimum of the standard of cost of living at the time. And he was approached by the newspapers and he would asked, are you willing to strike over this? And he says, most definitely. And then he was asked, do you know that you can go to jail if you strike? And his answer was, this is something that's worth going to jail over. So that made all the headlines in the New York newspapers and that really got the strike going. In 1969, people were really willing to sacrifice postal employees, to sacrifice their jobs, their livelihood, for the cause of uh, fair benefits and fair pay. How would you compare that to the legislative act, um, activism right now or the degree to which individuals would be willing to sacrifice for the greater good right now? Folks need to stand up for what they truly believe in for the betterment of, of not just for the association, but for their families. Because my father had always says what he did back in 1969, he says he never did he realize that how that would affect his children, me being a postal worker. My brother is a postal worker. He drives with the VMF. Little did he realize in 69 how that would have a domino effect to future generations down the line. So people really, if you believe truly in something, and back then, it was, it was quite obvious because people were struggling, trying to make ends meet based on the salary. You have to stand up for what you believe in, push forward, come together. There's strength in numbers. That's why not, with membership, there's strength in numbers. And this just shows how numbers can help you achieve something. With regard to the strike, that's something that we share in common, and that is my dad was the strike. He was a tour one clerk for the APW in New York at that time at Farley at the Farley Post Office. At that time, we referred to it as GPO, General Post Office, and we've kidded each other about that. But yeah, people recognize, and I think to some extent that postal employees right now recognize the, the risks and the stakes. They just They just sort of act on those fears and those opportunities in a different way than I think our parents did back in 1969. We can't let those fears drive our lives. If we truly believe in something, we have to stand up, get in the forefront, and try to address it. We can't live in fear. I want to talk about your work day. 
One of the characteristics that you have is you beat me into the office every single day. I think at the crack of dawn, before the rooster crows, you're up and you're here. Can you talk to us about your daily routine at NAPS? Now, when my wife hears this, she's going to say, why am I getting back to the office so early? Because that was one of the... The thing she says that when I ran for this position, she says, you better not be spending no 13, 14, 16 hours a day in the office. So now that when she hears this uh, podcast, she's going to say, what are you doing in the office at 6 o'clock in the morning for? Didn't we discuss this? No, I've always believed in starting early. Even when I was a manager customer service, I was always in the office between anywhere between 4.30 and 5 o'clock because I can get my day moving a lot quicker. Uh, one of the advantages I felt at the time, and I'm sure a lot of folks out there can relate to this, mostly like DOIS and those op, uh, different programs, they come up at 5 a.m. But if you go on between 5 and 5.15, the folks out on the West Coast, th there wasn't that many folks on the server. So I can run reports in seconds, where if I waited and came in my regular time at 8 o'clock, those seconds turned into long minutes. So it made my day a lot easier. Just like coming here to NAPS headquarters. When I come in, I can, whatever emails I came in overnight, I can dress them early, do my daily uh, duties early. If there were any vouchers came in late the day before, I can get them all processed. And that enables me where if something arises during the day, I'll have the time to address it. I won't be behind the eight ball all the time. And I've, I've always been that way, a, mo a morning person. You touched on this a little bit earlier, and that is membership. One of your primary responsibilities as secretary-treasurer is membership. So I'm going to ask you, what is the value of NAPS membership? Well, you can look at that in many different perspectives. Uh, from the individual's point of view, there's great value in being part of the NAPS family. Obviously, there's many reasons we always bring up for the DDF, uh, fund, which is probably the best that's out there. Uh, it's just reaching out to other folks when there's a need. Uh, there's networking, which is involved. And those, those are all key benefits to folks getting involved. But there's also an, a different aspect to it, which I like to look at a lot. And even, and I know you'll appreciate this, Bob, even at the legislative point of view, when we go up on the Hill and we deal with our legislative representatives, when they hear the amount of people that we have in our association, it raises an eyebrow. It's not, we're not a group that just goes up there representing 100, 2, 3, 500 people. We're a group that goes up there and represents nearly 25,000 people. And this strengthened members because they know that our issues are important, not just to a small group, but to a large group that's nationwide. But also, when you speak of 25,000 members, those are the members. We represent more than the members. I mean, because whether or not you are an APPS member, if you're a supervisor, a manager, a postmaster, the view, even though we, you may not be a dues-paying member, we represent your views, whether it be before the Postal Service or at, at Congress. Without a doubt. A lot of the issues that we bring up affect many people that are also not NAPS members, but we, we want to do what's best for the membership and what's best for everybody, as well as the Postal Service. One of the main issues that a lot of our folks are concerned about uh, right now is that the Postal Service has conducted a reduction in force, a so-called RIF, and that has, that has impacted NAPS, it, it's impacted the Postal Service, it impacts service, it impacts a whole slew of issues. Could you talk a little bit about how NAPS has weathered those actions and is confronting those actions by the Postal Service? 
This uh, current riff has been rough. Uh, I, I guarantee you that the resident offices, being myself, Ivan, and Chuck, we have been, we had great concerns with the way the RIF was handled, the way it was rolled out. And I also have to say, I believe some of the folks in the Postal Service had concerns. They really didn't believe that it was going to be rolled out or have the effects that it did, the way it was, you know, based on the way that it was done. I guarantee you, uh, the last week was rough. It was rough for all of us. Uh, especially, I got to say, and I take my hat off to our president, Ivan Butts. Ivan was on that telephone the week prior to the deadline, reaching out to every person that didn't receive a position yet. He went far way above and beyond just to ensure that everybody was going to receive a position. Some of the concerns that we had throughout the process, though, was basically all of these new funnels. It seems like many folks were just taking care of their own area of consideration and not really worried about others from other areas. And we felt that there really wasn't the communication there like we used to have in the past when there was a RIF. Uh, in past RIFs, many at the lowest level, uh, local HR managers, et cetera, they would bring their NAPS branch presidents in and their offices in to sit down with folks that were affected and work together. And we really didn't see that this time with this RIF, and we believe that that was a major key, having that communication by the Postal Service at that lower level, exactly what was going on, so people understood what was happening to them. They could reach out to their NAPS rep for guidance, et cetera. Are we confident that everyone, all current folks who want a position in the Postal Service after this RIF will find a seat at the table? Everybody has received a position or ha at least had an offer of a position. The thing is, when you're going through a rift, a lot of folks have to realize they may have to get out of their comfort zone. It may not be the position that they actually want, but if they still want to stay employed with the Postal Service, there is a position out there for them. Uh, one of the concerns, though, which we did have was where those positions were. Uh, it's not fair to have a person to have to uproot their families and move 100, 2, 3, 4, 500 miles just to have a position. And the Postal Service did work with us on a lot of those issues where we can get a position closer to where they reside presently, but that was a ma uh, major issue throughout this RIF. Let's pivot a bit, and I'm going to talk about another facet of being a NAPS member, and, that, and you mentioned, you touched upon it, and that was the networking opportunities, whether it be at LTS, at a branch meeting, at the national convention. COVID has interfered with that crucial function because the ability to have face-to-face -face communications is somewhat handicapped as a result of COVID. How do we overcome that uh, obstruction of networking? I like to look at COVID and take away some of the positives, I guess you could say, from it. I think COVID helped us realize the value in having face-to-face -face meetings with folks and that networking and moving forward. I know there's a lot of companies out there that they really believe that they're going to go to a much more work-at-home atmosphere. There's a lot of companies I know out there now they're not leasing as much space, office space. They feel that's a positive for the company. But I disagree with a lot of that. I think we still need that interaction between each other, especially when we're having meetings or what have you. Even when we're doing cases, just to see the reaction of somebody to sit there with them, usually you get a different response I have no problem with Zoom meetings and what have you, but I'm not a Zoom person per se. I'll tell you, when I have a Zoom meeting, I think I'm playing Hollywood Squares, <laughs> and I'll say, Congressman so-and-so for the block. I, I agree with you 100%. It, 
It's just I like to sit down with somebody in a room and, and see their body motion much more and to see the way they react to questions and, and concerns and what have you. And most of the time on Zoom now, people just put up a picture of their face. I, I disagree with that. But on the other hand, I look at I think of the positives. The way that has went over the last year, take away from that and take away that understanding how people feel. Now, I know a lot of our uh, supervisors now, they're of a much younger generation, and they're into a lot more of the electronics, the gadgets, and, and all of that stuff, and they're much more into Zoom. So I think that might have maybe helped them a little bit, but they still want them. they got to realize that there is a great network out there. Get involved. Come to branch meetings. It'll help you tremendously. We can use your talents. I think that's one of the... Uh tremendous, tremendous attributes of networking, and particularly with younger members of NAPS, Generation X's, Y's, or, you know, eventually Generation Z's, is that they could share their familiarity, their comfort with technology with us old folks who may not as be as comfortable and how to use the technology to generate membership, to generate interactivity, and to generate engagement. Without a doubt. And, Bob, I hate to say it, we, we just showed both our ages when you spoke earlier, when you called G the building in New York GPO. The only folks that call that the Jaff building GPO in New York, they've been around for over 40 <laughs> years. <laughs> I, I want to come back. I want to I I stick on the networking topic for a second. One of the opportunities for networking will be coming up in late January, and that's the NAPS Legislative Training Seminar so-called LTS. While I know and you know that LTS will be Executive Vice President Chuck Mullador's baby as the Executive Vice President, from your experience, could you talk about the importance of LTS? Sure. I know you just mentioned that it's Chuck Mullador's baby, but I just want to uh, reassure you, Bob, and all the listeners out there, the three resident offices being Ivan, Chuck, and myself, we're a team. So even though this may be Chuck's baby, Chuck still has Ivan and myself standing behind him. If the LTS is a success, it's a success because of the three of us. If it's a failure, that failure reflects on the three of us. So we are working together to have the best LTS possible that we could ever have, taking into consideration the safety of everybody because, let's face the facts, we we bit the bullet uh, back in 2020 when we had the LTS and then COVID hit that week right after when it was uh, really widespread. So we're taking a lot of that into consideration, having this LTS. That being said, as soon as we came back from the national convention in Grapevine, the three of us sat down. Chuck bounced a lot of ideas off of Ivan and myself. There was a lot of feedback. We threw our uh, perspective in there on what we could do with the LTS and it Chuck hit the ground running with this. There's a lot of preparation going on right now. I take my hat off, and it's not because you're sitting here with me, Bob, but being in the office early in the morning with me, I hear your phone ringing. You've been on the phone making proper preparations, trying to get meetings set up with folks for it. I know it's going to be difficult because we have a lot of restrictions up at the House and the Senate as far as how many people can enter and how many offices are actually seeing people in person. But you've already started to prepare for that. Chuck is already preparing for that. If, we can't, if somebody can't get up to see their representative, there's going to be an area set up with computers where Zoom meetings can be held and we can still have these meetings because it's very important. And it's also getting back to the networking 
people need to come down to the LTS. This is a very key thing. You're going to realize that the issues you have in your area are issues that are, going, that are spread across the country. LTS and coming together is a very big key. And not just even for the Postal Service for our issues now. Things that affect our retirees. There are so many issues that can affect our membership, not just working-wise, but also the families and everybody else. It, it's a big player. One of the preparatory activities that we've been engaged in is we've communicated with all 435 schedulers for members of members of the House, as well as the 100 schedulers for U.S. senators, to ascertain what their office protocols will be in March. Many of them are saying it's going to still be determined, but we're finding out, as you referenced, that many of them are already saying that they intend on having in-person meetings, though they are limiting the uh, attendees to five because there were certain uh, rules that were set up by the House and Senate Sergeant-at-Arms about the ratio of staff member to visitors in terms of escorting them through the House offices. And different offices will have protocols as to whether masking, vaccination status, and health status. But we're already on top of this. So people who are interested in coming to LTS, and we encourage as many NAPS members to come to LTS as uh, physically possible, uh, because it's going to be important to have that show of force, as you say, strength in numbers. I spoke a little bit earlier, Jimmy, about the confirmation hearing of Postal Regulatory Commission Chairman Mike Kubianda. At that confirmation hearing, committee chairman Peters and other senators expressed continued concern about delivery delays. The chairman queried the uh, chairman, Chairman Kubianda, about the PRC's role in postal accountability and transparency. Obviously, the Postal Service will be tested during the current holiday mailing season. How should supervisors, managers, and postmasters position themselves for the next few weeks in managing and supervising their workforce? I mean, what's within their control? What's outside of their control? Well, Bob, I think you, you pretty much, you just actually answered your own question to a point. People have to take control of what's in their control. And what I mean by that is during this, this time, first of all, attendance is always an issue. If people come to work, let's face the facts. The job is a lot easier because we have the staff there. But a lot of pre-planning. I always, uh, and I took this from Branch President Tom Hughes of Branch 100. He had always said, because he was my boss at one time in the post office, he always used to say the five Ps, pre-planning prevents poor performance. And I truly believe in that. When you're planning for peak season, it's too late now. We're already halfway through November. That has to start back in May and June. Ordering hand trucks, uh, getting extra vehicles if they need to be leased, etc. What what is needed? Look at historic. They need people. Folks need to look at historical data. What happened last year? Keep a record. What weekends did you get overloaded with parcels, etc. This way you can refer to that next week and pre-plan for that. Those are things that are under your one's control things out of your control. If last year, hypothetically, this weekend, you got 10,000 parcels and all of a sudden you got 15, that's out of your control. But we still have to react to that and do our best. What I would recommend for folks in situations like that, you have to let your boss know. Let your uh, senior MDO or your MDO know, we just got hit with extra mail. Let your area manager or your POOM know, look, we the volume came in much heavier than what was anticipated. This way, there's any help or they can adjust to it to give you help, 
fine. If not, at least it doesn't look like an excuse if you notify him or her after the fact when you have carries out there that are so late and you're not getting the parcels delivered on time. But just control, and I tell people, don't get stressed out. Control what's in your control, and that's a big key. Jimmy, you've been a legislative and SPAC, Supervisor Political Action Committee, activist for years. How important are these two aspects, not only for NAP's membership, but as an advocate for the United States Postal Service to continue universal, affordable, and reliable services? Extremely important, and I, and I truly take this to heart. A lot of our members may not realize that many postal regulations, etc., they're laws. And even though we can go to the Postal Service and ask for something to be changed or what have you, their hands are tied. The law has to be changed. Uh, and to change that, we have to go up on the hill and we have to talk to our uh, representatives to get certain things changed, what, what is best for us. I mean, we have a lot of bills out there. And that these bills are really, I take serious, because not only do they affect our membership that are working, the membership has to realize there's a lot of bills out there that will affect you for the rest of your lives, not just your working life, but the, the rest of your lives. For example, certain bills that we have out there now, 1624 to get MSPB rights for all EAS, 1623 to get Title 39 changed. So this way, when we go consult with the Postal Service, we can get a binding agreement on that. Uh, we have 3076 out there, which we're pushing, 3077. A lot of these things affect us now, uh, our uh, career life. But there's also another lot of bills. For example, H.R. 2337, the WEP, the windfall elimination provision. That will affect us for the rest of our lives, which we have to get changed. Uh, H.R. 82 and a bill in the Senate, 1302, to repeal the GPO, the government pension offset. Very key bills. Uh, other bills, H.R. 304 and H.R. 4315. This will change the way COLA is calculated. Now, I always use the, uh, the scenario. Let me put it to you this way, Bob. I'm retired civil service. My wife is retired FERS. The COLA, she's going to get 1% less than I will this year with the COLA. Now, when my wife goes to the store, is she going to be able to pay 1% less for that loaf of bread? Is she going to be able to pay 1% less for that gallon of milk that she's going to buy? No. She has to pay the same price as me who's getting that higher cola race. So it just doesn't make sense. And these are bills that we really need to, to push out there to get something changed, not just for us, but the whole that would affect all seniors in the whole country. And that comes back to where we started about the postal strike that people were willing to sacrifice everything for a greater good and the good of the Here, we're not asking anyone to take a strike, to walk off the job, to do anything like that. We're just asking you to raise your hand and show that you're interested in these pieces of legislation that are so vitally important, not only for your career, but for the rest of your life, as you said. Right, and not just your life, your family's life, your, your friends. This affects millions and millions of people. Jimmy, final question. You're from the New York metropolitan area, and inquiring minds want to know, what is your favorite flavor of bagel? Bagel. I'm going to bore you. Well, actually, my favorite bagel is the salted bagel. 
A salted bagel. A regular salted bagel with cream cheese. Schmear of cream cheese. Schmear of cream cheese. And sometimes a lox. Little lox, Bob. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jimmy, I want to thank you for joining me on Apps Chat today. This has been great. And this has been Jimmy Warden, Secretary Treasurer of the National Association of Postal Supervisors. Thank you, Bob. And I also just like to take a moment and wish everybody out there a very happy and healthy holiday season and a happy Thanksgiving. We all have a lot to be thankful for. I know I do. Thank you, everyone. I want to thank Naps Chat listeners for logging on this week. If you enjoy Naps Chat, please leave a positive review in the Apple Podcast Store. And more importantly, share Naps Chat with your friends and colleagues. We're going to be taking off next week, as Jimmy referenced, for Thanksgiving. So on behalf of everyone here at Naps headquarters, I wish you a thankful and filling Thanksgiving holiday. In the meantime, stay safe and stay healthy. I'm going to right down. And write myself a letter And make